Hey folks, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors at Clearview Community Church. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Now, how many of you have ever purchased something that required you to assemble it? And how many of you follow the instructions? Or how many of you are those fly by the seat of your pants kind of people? Don't elbow your spouse. Uh, for a wedding gift, my wife Sarah and I received gift cards to Ikea. So we drove to Vaughn, we walked the maze of Ikea, we found our TV stand, and we brought it home. Now, of course, we had then to, we had to then assemble the crazy thing, and I don't know about you guys, but guys tend to get a bad rap of not reading the instructions. That's not me, actually. Uh, Sarah, on the other hand, she wants to dive right in. So about two hours, into assembling this stupid stand. I was getting frustrated. There was tension in the room. There was pieces everywhere and there's pieces weren't fitting together. We didn't know what was going on. So I grabbed the instructions and we went step by step through them and we put the thing together. Let's just say for the sake of our marriage, we don't shop at Ikea anymore. No matter how hard we tried to fit things together, other than what the manufacturer instructions had said, it just didn't work. There was only one way of putting it together. See, often in life, we try to do the same thing with God. We try to fit God into our mold, attempt to put him in a place that he doesn't belong. Now, for those just joining us, we are making our way through the Gospel of Luke in a series that we've entitled, Investigating Jesus. And today, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, picking it up at verse 8. So if you have your Bible, or perhaps your smartphone, want to grab those out and turn there. And I'm going to read the entire section and unpack a few things. Last week, we read of the birth of Jesus. Most of us only read this story at Christmas time. I think it's easy for us to underestimate the longing, the expectation, and the anticipation that was taking place. See, a few thousand years of history was this waiting of the coming of a savior, a rescuer, a deliverer, a hero. In this moment, God comes into human history. The angel gives Jesus this title called Emmanuel, which means God come to be with us. So we pick up our story in Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This angel, he shows up in the fields to announce this birth to the shepherds. They were an unlikely group to be chosen. See, shepherds were kind of weird. Uh, they lived by themselves, outside of town, sleeping in the open with the animals all the time. That's not the job you shoot for. That's the job you kind of end up with. This, this kind of complicated things for them, even spiritually. They couldn't actually make the, the visit to the temple to make sacrifices as the other people did in their devotion to God. They were thought of as crooks and thieves, and they couldn't even testify in the court of law. These are the lowest of the low. Yet, the angel shows up to them. The angels report the Savior has been born, and the shepherds run off to find Jesus. Now, this can be one of those sections of the Bible that we're so familiar with that we miss what's happening. The angel says in Luke 2, 11, he says of Jesus that Jesus is Christ the Lord. Now, we don't use the word Lord in our culture, but I want you to think like medieval times, the Lord and ladies. The Lord, he is the ruler. He is the ruler over all. And in this moment, the Lord God has come to be with us. And I know that is not a popular message in today's culture to say that Jesus is Lord over everything, meaning he rules over all all religions and all deities and all people and all powers and all things for all time. It's not a popular message. But the Bible says this is the rightful and exclusive position of Jesus as Lord. See, many people will attempt to place him, place Jesus, in a position he is not meant to be. And what can happen is because some of us are so familiar with the Christmas story that we try to insert Jesus into what we'll call our worldview. We try to place him in a position other than his rightful place as Lord. So what does it mean that he is Lord? And what does it mean in light of the alternative ways of thinking about our world? I want to quickly give you some different worldviews because whether you realize it or not, we all have a worldview. The question for every one of us needs to be, and we need to answer, where does Jesus fit into our worldview? So I'm gonna give you a few. The first worldview is atheism. So atheism is a view that there is no God. Now, if that is the case, then this life is all we've got. There's no God who made us. There's no God who knows us. There's no God who's come for us. There's no God to comfort us. And when we die, there's no God to greet us. Just this life. That's all that we have. Richard Dawkins, a modern atheist, was asked the question, doesn't your worldview lead you to be depressed? And here's what he said. I don't feel depressed. I don't feel depressed about it. But if somebody does, that's their problem. Maybe the logic is deeply pessimistic. The universe is bleak, cold, and empty. But so what? Bleak, cold, and empty, but so what? Logically consistent, but emotionally dead. You come from no one, you come from nowhere, you're here for nothing, no one can save you. If you are losing, it's because, well, you're a loser. If you're in pain, that's your problem. And when you die, there's nothing. The universe is cold, bleak, and empty. But so what? Now where this leads inevitably is that when your life really hurts and you're struggling, you get depressed. 
There is no hope, so why bother living at all? Second worldview is this. It's called deism. So basically, deism is a belief that God made the world and he left. We sinned, we rebelled, and God said, what a mess you people are. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. He doesn't pay any attention to you or your life. He's certainly not going to get involved. He's not there for you. He's not coming to rescue you. You are on your own. You're abandoned. You're like a kid whose dad has walked out, never looked back, never called, never texted, never emailed, never sent a letter, never checked in, doesn't care. There's a movie in the mid-90s called The Devil's Advocate. Satan is played by Al Pacino, and he calls God an absentee landlord. He made the world and he left, and he's not coming back. You're on your own, so good luck. The result, life gets hard, you get depressed, you self-medicate, and perhaps even lead to suicide. That's it, that's all, that's all you've got. Third worldview, it's called pantheism. This is the belief that God consists of everyone and everything. God is not a person, he's a force in everything. God doesn't have a name, he's just an energy that permeates everything. There's this divine force that fills all of creation so that everything is sort of knitted together as one. Now here's what that means practically. Good and evil are one. You are spiritually connected to the divine and you're on your own, so good luck. Figure it out. Do better, try harder. You need to go deeper into your own conscience and meditation and go into yourself. Get in touch with the divine force. But here is the problem with that. All we have is what is, and good and evil are different sides of the same coin. It's all one. So if you're hurting or you're damaged or you're raped or you're abused or you're abandoned or you're betrayed, you can't say that was wrong. All you can say is, well, that happened. You can't appeal to anyone because there's no one beyond the universe. When life gets really hard, the result is depression and, as I said before, with other worldviews, self-medication because you're on your own. There is no God to help. The fourth view, worldview is this, it's called theism. Theism is the belief that there is a God. This can be monotheism, which means that you believe there's one God, or polytheism, which means you believe there's many gods. God is a judge, he is holy, we are guilty, but here's the difference, there's no savior. You have to save your, yourself through your efforts. Theism results in religion, which means you have to pray five times a day, or you have to obey the moral law, you have to live a perfect life and work really hard. Do good so you can reincarnate. You've got to save yourself. God is not coming to help you. He's not loving and merciful and compassionate and kind. He's the judge. So do better, try harder, or you go to hell. That's it. And this leads to one of two things. It leads to pride or despair. Religious people who feel like they're doing a good job, they'll say, hey, I did good things. I'm a good person. God loves me because I've earned it. Or you live in despair and you say, well, man, I tried to do all the stuff. I couldn't do it well enough. And what happens is when you're hurting, you believe God is actually punishing you for not keeping all the rules. So you get hurt. You lose your job, you're suffering. You don't run to God, you run from God. 
You don't cry out to God, you cower from God because God is punishing you. You have to pay for your sin, so just take that beating. The truth of theism is you could still go to hell after a whole life of trying really hard. And the fifth and final worldview is this, it's Christianity. This is where Christianity is different. Christianity is the story that God is the creator. He's eternally existent. He made everything, the heavens and the earth. And God made us, male and female, in his image and his likeness, with dignity and value and worth. And God desires to have a relationship with us and enjoy life with us. Instead, we choose rebellion and sin. We trade a relationship with God for hiding from God. But God promised that he would provide the means for our sin to be forgiven and our relationship to be restored. You see, as we've already read, a child would be born. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And he would come as the Savior. The angel Gabriel told Mary to name him Jesus, which means that he will save his people from their sin. The Creator would enter into creation. He would come to live in humility and simplicity. He would suffer. He would be betrayed. He would be abused. He would be killed. God would willingly die in our place for our sins. See, the story of the Bible is God saying, I come down to you. You don't have to try to get up to me. It's about being humble, not being religious. And then Jesus comes humbly into human history. He comes as our Savior. But you know what atheism and deism and pantheism and theism all have in common? God is not the Savior. In Christianity, our God is our Savior. He's the hero. He's the rescuer. He is our hope. I don't know about you, but that sounds like good news to me. If there is no hope, that's not good news. If I have to be my own hope, that's not good news either. If Jesus is the hope, well, that is extremely good news. And that's exactly what the angel says in Luke 2, 10, 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. These three titles don't come together anywhere else in the New Testament. Savior, Christ, and Lord. I want to look at these very quickly. First, Savior. He's the hero. He's the deliverer. He's the rescuer. It's God versus Satan. We are sinners and rebels against God, and we have a Savior come to rescue us. He's going to take away sin. He does that through going on the cross, and he's going to give us new life in his resurrection from the dead. He's our Savior. Secondly, he's Christ. He's the anointed one. He is the chosen one. He's the special one. He is set apart from anyone or anything else. Thirdly, he's Lord. He's over all religions, over all nations, over all genders, over all people. Now, what does all this do for our life? Like, I don't know about you, but growing up, I had plenty of classes in school that as I'm older, they really didn't have a lot of practical meaning for my life. And so I don't want that to be the case here. So practically, your worldview plays out in how you live, how you treat others, how you walk through suffering, how you approach death. And the reason I tell you this is I don't want you just to insert Jesus into these false ideologies. You see, some people are so familiar, as I said, with the Christmas story, the birth story of Jesus, that they have this prevailing worldview and they just kind of stick Jesus in it. I don't want you to do that. 
So let me wrap all this up for you in a story of how putting Jesus in his proper place as Savior, Christ, and Lord actually plays out in life. I had a couple in our church who followed Jesus, who loved Jesus. She had come to church first and had heard about Jesus and had given her life to Jesus. However, her husband was determined not to become a Christian. Things, however, in their marriage weren't the greatest. And so he decided, listen, I'm going to give this Jesus guy a try. And things started turning around. And they lived for Jesus. And they're doing everything that the scriptures that the Bible would say God wants us to do in following him. They're studying their Bibles. They're serving and they're loving people. He actually became one of my closest friends. One day, he starts feeling this pain in his side, which goes on for months. The doctors thought he had pulled a muscle. The pain persists, and they finally start doing some tests, but they still have, don't have any answers. One day, I get a phone call uh, from his wife, who had insisted that he went to the hospital because the pain was unbearable. And in God's sovereignty, uh, the surgeon who was attending him actually went to our church, and she saw his file, and she called me, and she said, you need to come to the eMERGE right away. We're flying him out now. We think he has leukemia you may never see him again. So I went to the hospital where his wife and his daughter were. We prayed, his family are saying goodbye and we're unsure what's happening. Now I'll fast forward the story. He undergoes months of treatment, comes home and things are looking okay. Until I get a call from his wife, Pastor Jason. He's in the hospital again, it doesn't look good. So I drive there and I'm praying for wisdom and I'm praying for the words to say, and on the way there, I'm wondering, what are they thinking? I mean, are they questioning if God exists? Are they questioning if God even knows them? If God loves them and cares for them? That God is good and evil? That God sat up in heaven and decided that it was a good day to give one of his sons leukemia and die? Were they thinking that God was punishing them? That God was angry with them? I don't know. So I arrived at the hospital, I walked into the room, and I stood by his bed. He couldn't talk, he was very heavily drugged at the time. And I asked her, how are you doing? And immediately, without missing a beat, she looks at me and she starts talking about Jesus. She didn't deny life and death, but she looked at me in the eye and she just started smiling. She said, you know, God is loving and God is good. He actually gave us a few more months, Pastor Jason, the good news is we've been able to talk to everybody about Jesus. His nurses, his doctors, the radiologists, the blood work technicians, everybody. Nobody got a break from this guy. People would ask, how are you doing? And he would say, Jesus is helping me. Are you depressed? Well, I was, but I've talked to Jesus about it. I'm doing okay now. When he was going through his treatments, I actually had to send him multiple Bibles because he just kept giving them away to everyone in the hospital. I said, what else are you thinking about? And she said, I'm thinking that he will be with Jesus soon and there's not gonna be any more pain. And that night, I stood by the bedside of one of my best friends and watched him as he took his last breath and entered into the presence of Jesus. I had the privilege of officiating his funeral. And when I sat down with his family, I asked them, is there anything you want me to say specifically at the funeral? And their answer was, Pastor Jason, you need to tell people about Jesus and the hope we have in Jesus. 
Folks, we know that there's no guarantee that everything will be okay in this life. But we do know is we come from God, we belong to God, we're here for God, we're known by God, we're loved by God. God is present with us. If we come to Jesus, he takes up residence within us, he lives in us, he changes us, and he can emphasize with us because he suffered and he was tempted like we are tempted. And when we die, he'll be there. And we'll see him face to face and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes and he'll welcome us into his kingdom. And that's the hope of the good news, that a savior has been born named Christ the Lord. You know, if I showed up at the hospital and I was an atheist, I would have told her, the world and the universe is cold and empty and bleak, but so what? If I were a deist, I would have said, look, God's abandoned you, you're all on your own. If I were a pantheist, I would have said, well, there's not good and evil, everything is just kind of one, and there's no judge, and there's no justice, and there's no eternal consequence. You win some, eh, you lose some. If I were a theist, I would have told her, I'm sure in a past life you didn't do a good job, something horrible, or you aren't doing a good enough job now, and this is God's way of punishing you, but I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I could tell her, and I tell you today, that Jesus is a savior. He is Christ the Lord. That he doesn't do evil, he is completely good. And that he has suffered as we suffer, and he understands our pain, and he comforts those who mourn, and he is close to the brokenhearted. And one day, she'll enjoy eternity with Jesus. Now hear me, that's the good news of great joy for all people that the angels declare. And maybe, maybe you're listening and you have never heard this good news. God's here. He's here to be with us and to save us. Does it mean life will be perfect without trouble or hardship? No, but it does mean you're not alone. You do not have to earn his love. The savior has come, sin is forgiven, the king has arrived, and our response is to follow and worship him as savior and Lord. I wanna invite you as we pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who cares. I thank you that you have not left us. We don't have to earn your love. You are fully good and loving. I pray for those who are maybe hearing of your love for the first time. I pray that they would experience your presence today, that they would turn to you and believe in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And for those of you who do know Jesus, may we not attempt to add him to our current worldview, that we would realize you, Jesus, are set apart from everything else. You are the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, and you don't share that position. You are to be set apart in our lives. May we find our hope, peace, and security in you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you, my friends. As always, I would encourage you to reach out to us. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Have a great week. Take care.